Well, we're in the middle of a a sermon series called Long Story Short, and we've been at this since the beginning of the year. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Matthew 28. Uh, Matthew is the first gospel uh, in the New Testament. So you should have your Bible in one hand and your PVC pipe in the other this morning. So uh, I do want to encourage you, and if... um, PVC drops on the floor throughout this morning. I'm just kind of expecting that. That's just okay. That's just part of the worship service today. So uh, no worries if your PVC pipe drops this morning. But I do want to encourage you to be bringing your Bibles each and every week uh, to worship. Uh, We are a congregation that does uh, not have uh, an adult uh, Sunday school. Uh, We also don't have a Bible study with the pastor. Uh, Sunday morning uh, becomes our time together where we're digging a little bit deeper in Scripture together. And um, so uh, I just want to encourage you uh, to be bringing your Bibles uh, every week. If you've been a part of a Lutheran congregation before, you probably know that most Lutheran sermons are about 12 minutes long. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon under 20 minutes. And uh, if you've been coming to faith, you know that most of our messages, our sermons on Sunday morning, are at least 30, sometimes 35, and sometimes for bonus material, we'll actually go to 40 minutes uh, or longer, and we charge you no extra for the uh, additional exegetical uh, Bible study on Sunday morning. So, so bring your Bibles. Uh, I really can uh, consider this a time of, of Bible study and and worship. Uh, And if you've got a a tablet or a phone, you can go ahead and uh, go to uh, Matthew 28 this morning. And and of course, for those of you who've been around the church, uh, this is the story of the Great Commission. And we are looking at this morning, and I want to challenge all of us to really think about how God is the God of co-mission. He invites us into his mission to serve and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are indeed a God of commission, and you have commissioned us as your disciples, as your followers, to share that good news with uh, those around us and all the world. And so, Lord, as we prepare to open your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So nearly five years ago uh, were the uh, Summer Olympics in Rio in 2016. And this morning, I want to begin by sharing with you a little story from the uh, women's 4 by 100 relay race. And there was an incredible amount of pressure and stress on the women's 4 by 100 relay race. Because four years earlier, in 2012, at the London Olympics, the women's uh, 4 by 100 shattered uh, the world record. So all the pressure, uh, fast forward back to 2016 in Rio, all the pressure was on these women. Could they repeat? Could they capture the gold? And so there was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and, and here they were at the starting line. 
And so when the gun went off and they raced out of the blocks, uh, Tiana Bartoletta, uh, she was the first leg of the race. She carried her baton and she got a good lead. And then she passed it off to Allison Felix. And she continued to run very, very fast. And just about the moment that she was about to pass it off to English Gardner, the baton dropped. And this was a heat. It wasn't even the finals. So in that moment, these ladies were devastated. They were so upset. They went back, picked up the baton, and then finished out the race. And they're thinking to themselves, yeah, what just happened? We spent all this time and we dropped the baton. Well, if you remember uh, those Olympics, you probably remember that there was a little bit of contact, shall we say, between the American runners and the Brazilian runners. And what actually happened in this heat is that one of the Brazilian runners uh, strayed out of her lane and bumped one of the American runners. And so they came back, they won their appeal, and they said, okay, you guys get a do-over. But you're going to have to do it in a time trial. You're going to have to go out there and run by yourselves the 4 by 100. And if your time is fast enough, you can still run in the, in the, in the final event. And, of course, they, they qualified. They ran fast enough. And so then they were at the, uh, in, in, the final, uh, in the finals for the 4 by 100. The gun went off. And the ladies passed the baton from one person to the next. And each of the baton passes was very, very smooth. And in the end, the women won the gold. It was the second fastest race that the women's 4 by 100 only four years earlier when the ladies set a world record. And I think this imagery of ladies... Men, those of us who have ever been a part of a relay race, any relay race, I think it's a wonderful image for who God is and how God functions, how God operates in the world. That God is omniscient, He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's those omnis, right? He's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, and He's everywhere. God is above all and over all. God could do it all in terms of just ruling the world and says, God says, nope, it's not how I'm going to roll. I'm going to work with my creation, my people who I have created This is how we are going to make the good news of Jesus Christ known throughout the world. And all through the Old Testament, we see story after story after story of God using, God working with his people to do his work. And God, from the very beginning, he could have done it by himself. And it's always perplexing to me as I read the Old Testament and the New Testament, why didn't God just do it himself? It would have been so much easier. It would have been so much smoother. It would have been so much more effectively. But God says, that's not who I am. I work with my people. I work with my creation. And so this is the imagery, I think, that we serve a God of the commission. God invites us. He started out with 12 guys and said, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to invite these 12 guys. I'm going to give them faith 
And I'm going to give them the tools that they need to pass on the baton to the next generation. And so we're going to go to Matthew 28 this morning, beginning with verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Galilee is about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, so they had to walk a few days to get there. To the mountain where they saw Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible? I know I am. Because I just relate to that, some doubted. I mean, here's a group of guys who spent three years with Jesus, and yet they still doubted. And I look at this part of the story of the Great Commission, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. Because I doubt. I doubt. You know, sometimes I think we think uh, that being a follower of Jesus Christ is about doubters and believers, right? We think that. I don't think that's how it is. I think being a follower of Jesus is about being a doubter or a liar, I just think that's the way it is. I think we're all doubters. The, the, the disciples certainly were doubters. I'm a doubter. And what I want you to hear this morning is if you've come to worship to this place, it's okay to doubt. We are not a church that has all the answers. We're a church that's just honest with one another and says, you know what? Sometimes I just don't get it. Sometimes I just don't believe. I doubt it. See, I think one of the most honest people in the New Testament was is that guy who had a son who was having seizures. And so he came to Jesus and he said, hey, Jesus, can you heal my child? Is there anything you can do? And Jesus says, if there's anything I can do, if you believe, I can do anything. And then he looked at the man and said, do you believe I can hear your child? The man said, I believe. Lord, help me with my unbelief. I resonate with that story. I think that's the story of God's people. Striving, leaning in to believe, but make no mistake about it, we all struggle with doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so in the midst of the doubt, Jesus, his first words are, All authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is reminding them who he is, that he is God, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He says, all authority has been given to me. Don't forget that, folks. And I can about imagine the disciples are looking back or or thinking back about six weeks earlier. It's now 40 days after the resurrection, and they're thinking back to that time when they shared a meal with Jesus. And as they're gathering around the meal, they're in Jerusalem together together. And there's a lot of tension in the community. And at this point in time, the disciples are expecting something really big, something really powerful, something to happen. 
Because Jesus says it's, it's about ready to happen. So as they're sitting around the table, Jesus reminds them that he has all authority. And they're thinking to themselves, I can't wait to see what Jesus' authority looks like. He is going to obliterate the Romans, those who are oppressing us. He is going to take them down with shock and awe. So as they're sitting around the table, we're told that Jesus reminds them that he has all authority. And in that moment, with great anticipation, the disciples are wondering, what does this authority look like? It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around him, uh, his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus says, you want to know what all authority looks like? You know what you do with power? You serve. In Jesus' day, nobody wanted to wash feet. I don't know that anybody today wants to wash somebody else's dirty feet, right? I mean, this job, this role was reserved for the lowest of the low on the Jewish totem pole. Nobody wanted to do this. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven on earth. You know what I do with my power and authority? I wash dirty feet. I serve. And so Jesus is reminding them that in the midst of what this looks like to have power and authority, he's come to live and serve with great humility. I think this is a wonderful lesson for us as well in terms of how we are serving and sharing the good news on co-mission with Jesus. Then Jesus gives his disciples their marching orders. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You ever know someone uh, who can take something really simple and make it complicated? Yeah? And you probably also know people who can make things really complicated or uh, things that are complicated and make them simple. Jesus was a master at this. He took really complicated issues and things and he boiled it down and he taught in very simple ways so that people could understand. You know, one just simple example is from the Old Testament. Jesus took 613 Old Testament laws and he came to the disciples one day and says, you know what, let me just explain those 613 laws to you. And he boiled it down in what we know as the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want a summary of what it means to be a worshiper of God, it's the great commandment. So simple, right? And we look at Jesus' teaching, we're like, it's, it's really that simple. And so Jesus then gives us the disciples and us our marching orders for how we pass on the faith, how we share the good news with the world. And he just says, make disciples, 
And I don't know about you, but if I were sitting there on that day, I'd be leaning in going, okay, how do we do that? When's the next class for that? Jesus, do you have a book for making disciples? Jesus, tell us how to do it. And he's like, no. It's no more complicated than that. It really is that simple of making disciples. So this morning, I'm going to invite uh, Jamie and Winton to come on up here because they offered uh, to uh, help me out with the sermon this morning uh, in the sermon illustration. They're very excited to be here this morning on one less hour of sleep. And so, Jamie, you can stand right over there, and Winton, you can stand right here. There you go. Awesome. You can look out at your family and friends and loved ones, and you can say hi to people at home on, on uh, Facebook and all that good stuff. But disciple-making is truly all about... Passing off the baton, right? I mean, it really is that simple, passing on the baton of faith. And I think as Jesus followers, as Christians, people in the church, we tend to think it's got to be more complicated than that. And so we do all sorts of fancy things uh, to pass off the baton, and we fail because we try and make it too tricky. We try and make it too extremely simple, Winton, Okay. Ready? Here you go. All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> Thanks for coming up. You know, there's nothing like embarrassing a junior high student. It's about the worst, right? But you'll never forget it. You'll never forget the sermon illustration. We make it so difficult. We make it so complicated, this idea of making disciples. You know, making disciples, the process of making disciples, it's simply called discipleship. Making disciples, a disciple is a learner. It's someone who is uh, like an apprentice, someone who's studying. But you don't just, uh, a disciple is not someone who just learns, but they actively learn. I was actually going to use a sermon illustration this morning about homeschooling because when we homeschooled our kids uh, back in the day, we were rarely in the house. We were out uh, in the community. We went to other towns. We went to museums. We went to other places. I just think homeschooling means something entirely different today. But this is the idea of a disciple, someone who is learning, someone who is following and we think about Jesus and his disciples and the activities that they did. They hung out together. They shared meals together. They went fishing. They climbed up mountains. They went camping. They shared meals. They laughed together. They encouraged one another. They prayed together. They read scripture together. I mean, they just did life together. When you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you say, what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus makes it crystal clear. You spend time in relationship with others. Discipleship is not about a curriculum. It's not about a program. It's not about an event. It's about being in relationship with one another. It's what we do together. Now, I first learned about discipleship about 20 years ago. And I came into a, what I would say a discipleship relationship 
with several people at a church in Minnesota. And we all had nicknames. There was uh, PD, uh, there was Lens, Lex, Ray Ray, and Byers. I'm not going to tell you what my nickname was. But we all had nicknames for one another because we enjoyed hanging out together. And we enjoyed laughing together. And we enjoyed teasing one another. And we shared meals together. And we read scripture together. And we prayed together. And we shared the struggles in our lives. And we shared when one of us, uh, one of our uh, folks, uh, got a new job, we celebrated with them. And they moved away from uh, that community uh, to another community. We did life together. We were in deep relationship with one another. And we were on mission together. We all had a common mission that we were going to raise young people in the faith of Jesus Christ. We were just going to pour into these young people. I think that's what discipleship is. I think it's that simple. So when our family moved from Minnesota to Georgia... I began a new discipleship relationship with new people, this time with Jeff, Kate, Oni, Greg, Jeannie, Matt, and Dave, different people, but we did the same thing, same activities. We shared meals together. We laughed together. We studied God's word together. We prayed together, and when people went through hard and difficult times, we grieved with one another. Then moving to Bloomington, I found a new community, people to just pour into me, to encourage me, to strengthen me in my discipleship journey. Before, I I was in partnership more in community uh, with a group of people. When I came to Bloomington, I started meeting with individuals, people like John, people like Tim, Matt. Chris, several other people that I continue to be in a discipleship relationship with on the phone. These people just poured into me, and they encouraged me, and we shared in meals, and we laughed together, and we studied God's word together. We shared the hardship in our life. Do you see the pattern here, what's going on? Discipleship is really not that complicated, It truly is about inviting other people into our lives and doing life together and then going on mission together. And we all need this. We all need someone to pour into our lives and encourage us and and pass the proverbial baton to us day after day after day to speak faith into our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning, who's passing you the baton? Who in a regular way is pouring into you? Who is encouraging you? Who is strengthening you? Who is, are you gathering with around a meal? Who are you pr- praying with and reading God's word? Who are you laughing with? Who just comes to you and loves you no matter wh- who, what's going on in your life? Who are those people or who is that person? Who is discipling you? Because that's perhaps one of the most important questions we have to answer. Oftentimes we think, I just want to pass off the baton of faith. I just want to share Jesus with others. But if nobody is pouring into you, you have nothing to pour out to others. Put another way, you can't give what you don't have. 
You need discipleship relationships with other people pouring into you so that you can pass on the faith in Jesus Christ to others. And so, of course, the next question I'm going to ask you is who are you discipling? Who are the people you are pouring into? Who are others around you that you are passing on the baton of faith? Now, here at Faith Lutheran Church, we're not about guilt trips. That's not what this morning is about. If you're having trouble answering either of those questions, that's not the point. But I actually think I have some good news for many of you. I think many of you already are discipling others. You're just not even aware of it. What is discipleship? How does it start? I think it starts with our families. I think it starts with pouring into our spouses, pouring into our kids, pouring into our grandkids. And I know many of you are doing that. Because I've walked the journey with you and you've shared with me the ways in which you are passing on the faith in Jesus Christ to your families. Now, I will say, most of us, myself included, could be just a little bit more intentional about how we are passing the baton of faith to our loved ones, to our families. See, there's this important component to discipleship. It's not just about what we do. It's about our intentions. It's about why we are doing what we're doing. And so most of us as families, we eat together and we talk about things and we laugh together and we cry together. But the important component is that intentionality. Is it structured? Is it focused around the person of Jesus Christ? And how are we moving conversations in life over and over and over back to Jesus? And how he is helping us grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. One other thing I'll say, um, I think this is where discipleship starts, uh, is with our families. But it can't end there. We've got to be about discipling and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people who are far from God. People who don't know Jesus. People who are not walking with Jesus. There's a great parable recorded in uh, Luke 15. It's actually three parables. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I know many of you know these parables. And over and over and over, Jesus leaves the 99 to go looking for the one. And then after he finds the one, he says this, I tell you, there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. This is why we do what we do as a church, to go after the one. Jesus says, these are your marching orders. Disciple one another. Pass on the baton to one another. But then go looking for those who don't know me. See, this is one of the primary purposes of who God has called us to be as the church. Let me be really clear. Faith Lutheran Church does not exist for you. I'm glad you're here. We're going to do everything we can to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But we exist 
because we've got empty chairs here still. We've got empty chairs because there are people in this community who do not know Jesus and not walking with Jesus. And I know for most churches, ourselves included, it's really tempting to make church all about us, to make us happy, to help us to grow, to, do, to be in relationship with one another. And that's wonderful, and that's great, and that's important, but that's not all there is to being the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to go out and engage in relationship with people who do not know Jesus. And this is who Jesus has called us to be. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that Jesus ends the Great Commission with these words. I am with you. I'm with you. Go do it. Go make disciples. But I'm with you. See, the disciples without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, as we read through the Gospels, they were pretty unremarkable, right? I mean, they were, there was nothing special about the disciples. And I can tell you, without the Holy Spirit, I am below average. I'm just not capable of doing a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff in ministry, and these are the words that remind me that I'm not in mission to, uh, alone, that I am in co-mission, that God has given me, God has given us the Holy Spirit to go and do. And I think that's really good news because when the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives and in our church, he transforms us into something new. And when God, the Holy Spirit, moves in our church, he can transform the world. We're not alone. We're not in mission. God comes to us and says, let's do this together. Let's be in co-mission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this extraordinary opportunity to grow as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the gift of the church where we can gather together and be in relationship with one another, where others can pour into us. But God, you have also planned for us to be going out past the baton of faith, to be sharing your love with our families, with our friends. God, most importantly, those who don't know you because that's who you are you are a God who never stops pursuing those who are lost God give us that same fervor that same zeal to go be in relationship with others to be reminded God that it's not complicated that it truly is about connecting with people in relationship, walking with you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.